Bom bom bits, a bowl full of chips. Bom bom bits, with Chappy and Pip. Bom bom bits, two young brothers. Bom bom bits, talking college football. Bom bom bits, and life and humor. And some funny ass clips. So relax and unwind with a bowl full of chips. This crowd grow. I swear y'all don't know what you mean to me. It's been something to see. I remember when we started this week long party, and to think that it's over, it makes me want to spring break down. Just think about all our good times together and how we rock this town. And I wish you could. Hey, college football fans, you down with SEC? Yeah, you know me. <laughs> That's right. Today we are getting into the spring reports from the Power Five conferences, starting with the lovely and talented Southeastern Conference down there in the great states of Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, and the likes. Forgive me if I've forgotten any geographic location. I am Chappie, joined by my bro host, Bip. Bip, it was sunny outside today. Was it sunny for you? Sure was, Chappie. Uh, wife and I and the kids went to go pick out some flowers. But the really nice thing is that we didn't get around to planting them today. So I uh, dodged a major bullet with that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it, as far as uh, Michigan weather is concerned, a sunny and 70 degree day in May is always a good time. Chappie, how about you? Yeah, uh, and I wanted to say happy Cinco de Mayo to you and to all who are celebrating the the fifth of May. Um, yeah, we uh, you know today was a, a day where you know we did the church thing in the morning, uh, met up with breakfast with family, and um, got got a little bit of yard work done. Got a little bit of uh, you know some outside time. It was it's always nice to get that that good spring fresh air as mm-hmm. we're getting into the summer months and. Uh, you know, now it's just a matter of, you know, being in the teaching world, rolling up my sleeves and trying to grind through the last uh, month <laughs> and change to go through. And I know that you're, you're yeah, all you not rolling, teachers, rolling your eyes. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that, yeah. how but, many have you dusted off all of the DVDs that you have planned <laughs> for the last month here, Chappie? Well, uh, they're, they're, they're not dusty because uh, they, they come in good use. So, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so, so wish me luck in the grind and, and I'll wish you luck in, uh, well, basically the rest of the calendar year. So <laughs> Yes, sir. <laughs> well, we thank you for joining us here on A Bowl Full of Chips, your podcast for national non-cliche coverage of the college gridiron. We bring you interesting info, insight, and confident claims backed up by analytics and the ever so polarizing eye test and that good old gut feeling. So we remind you that when it comes to college football podcasts that brings you diverse yet precise national coverage, there's no careful selection needed. Um, just go with a bowl full of chips. And we remind you to interact with us on Twitter or email. I am at champion underscore lit on the Twitter. And I am at BFC BIP. And we mentioned email if that's your thing. If that's uh, if, if you've got something that you want to share with us, send our way. And uh, you're not... 
on Twitter or, you know, you're uh, kind of squeezed in by the, the limitations on characters and what you can and cannot send, please feel free to email us at bowlfulofchips at gmail.com. And Bip and I will have a, uh, a website up and running in the, uh, in the coming months, probably over the summer, where we'll release our 2019 college football previews. We'll also you know, put various short articles on there and um, other things that we know that you college football fans will find fascinating and, and, and good fodder for maybe some, some bathroom time. So, um, <laughs> so we're going to get right into what we're doing today. And we're starting uh, the next five weeks. We're going to get into spring reports and uh, a look back at what happened in you know, the months of February, March, and April, depending on when these teams went through spring ball. And we're going to go with the SEC this week. And so what Bip and I are going to do is we're going to bounce back and forth between the East and the West divisions, kind of give you a, a short, maybe five-minute summary of what was going on with each team throughout the spring, some of the guys to watch out for, some of the guys who maybe emerged and, and made a name for themselves, possibly etching him into a spot in the two deep as well as uh, maybe some questions that abound with guys maybe who left or guys who were out with injury and, and what factors those might lead to coming into the fall. So, uh, Bip, anything you want to get to before we get going with your first SEC East team? Nope, I think I'm all set, Chappie. So why don't I go ahead and just kick us off then. And uh, I'll start off in the East and uh, start off with the Georgia Bulldogs and some happenings in, in spring for um, those in Athens. Uh, so... In this spring game, the the young secondary really shined, and they showed that they could survive life without Thorpe Award winner DeAndre Baker. Um, early enrollee safety Lewis Seen um, led the team with eight tackles in the game, while Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, and um, Richard LeCount were all count, called out for their strong play and playmaking ability, and Stokes actually had a pick six in the game. Um, now, the strong play helped, um, com- or helped uh, contribute to a lackluster showing from Jake Fromm in the game as he finished 14 to 29 for 116 yards and a touchdown. And again, through that pick six, almost through another interception as well. Um, from all reports, he was kind of late on several throws and just didn't seem like he was in sync the whole game. So yeah. I know this is a spring game, so kind of take um, some of the stuff with a grain of salt. I know that Jake Fromm is going to be back in a true form and uh, you know, who knows what could have happened in there, but not, not the best of showing, but encouraging for that Georgia defense that they could make someone as talented as, as uh, Jake Fromm look the way that he did. Um, right. Junior, def- junior defensive end, Justin Young, who had seen little playing time in the past two seasons in Athens and even confirmed in the media that he was in the transfer portal this spring, got first team reps and looked really impressive with two tackles in the sack. So look for him to maybe potentially earn his way into the starting lineup or at worst be in the two deep um, back on the offensive side, Brian Harry really impressed at running back and, Despite Zamir White, James Cook, and DeAndre Swift being there, Harrion is thought to have carved out a role in the Bulldog backfield this year. Um, so that's something to look for for the senior running back as that's going to be a crowded and talented backfield. And uh, true freshman linebacker N'Kobe Dean had five tackles in this game and really could uh, inch his way into the starting lineup for the Bulldogs when fall camp breaks. He was, uh, by all accounts, pretty impressive throughout the entire spring, Chappie. Yeah, and, um, you know, I... I agree with you. You got to take it with a grain of salt in terms of Fromm. I mean, we've seen what he's done in two seasons, especially, you know, how he performed as a as a uh, a true freshman two seasons ago. So, um, you know, I'm interested to see how new offensive coordinator James Coley 
um, you know, kind of transitions. And, and if he can pick up where Jim Cheney left off, I mean, this is this is an offense that you know what you're going to get from Georgia. And, you know, you talk about Harrion. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like every year Georgia has, you know, they go about four or five deep in the backfield. And it was really almost a blessing that, um, you know, Zamir White went down with injury last year because there was talk that he was going to push for some playing time and, and they really didn't need it. So, you know, that that would have been maybe a, a tough decision to figure out, you know, who do we put in this room? You know, who do we put back? And, you know, now with the transfer portal, you know, revved up and, and fired and, and, you know, going for the last uh, six right. months, it seems that they could have lost by attrition just due to, you know, lack of playing time there. So, um, sure. yeah, I'm not too worried about Georgia's offense, nor am I worried about their defense. And I really like those two corners that you mentioned, Campbell and Stokes. I think that they're going to be, you know, make up one of the top pairs in the SEC this season. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to swing it over to the West and we're going to go with the team that some have at number one in the country in the preseason. Some have at number two, and that's the Alabama Crimson Tide. So, you know, kind of go through offense, defense, and then maybe a little bit of special teams. So offensively, some of the things that we saw, well, they have new offensive coordinator, Steve Sarkeesian, who we know from his days as the head coach at um, University of Washington, but also as an offensive coordinator at, uh, at USC. And also, um, you know, a brief stint as the offensive coordinator previously at Alabama. Um, you know that mm-hmm. he's he's somebody who works well with quarterbacks. And, you know, with Tua Tungavailoa, expect the, the passing numbers to stay hot and to stay precise and sharp under under Stark's tutelage. And, you know, maybe get used to Alabama fans for a year, maybe two years if you're lucky, because he's certainly going to be a name that's going to float around in the um, the head coaching pool when, when it comes up again. Um, tight ends look to be pretty solid this uh, spring with uh, Morris Forrestal and Kendrick James looking pretty good in in uh, in the spring months at that spot. Uh, center Chris Owens has done really well this spring, uh, you know, stepping up into his new role. The the wide receivers, you know that they're going to be good, even though, um, you know, some of them played, some of them did not play. John Mechie was actually the spring game MVP. He had 133 receiving yards, and coaches are really high on a guy named Xavier Williams to, to add to the depth with, um, you know, Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddell and company. Uh, and uh, and Smith as well. Don't want to forget him. So they've already got four, you know, potential All Americans. But a guy named Xavier Williams is someone who's going to be working his way up the depth chart and and possibly you know producing as a playmaker on the outside as well. Um, there was a little bit of concern about backup quarterback Mac Jones, who really hasn't given Bama fans too much confidence as a backup the last two years. So does that pave the way for Tua's younger brother Tulia uh, Tungavailoa to etch his spot as as the backup? And and you really have to keep an eye on Tua's knee and his health and and is if that goes if that gets tweaked at all this year who is the guy that emerges at that backup uh quarterback spot um right Jerome Ford was a guy who who uh you know reared his head he looks like a solid number two running back but they do have incoming five-star freshman Trey Sanders as well as Brian and Keelan Robinson who are going to compete for a backup spot at the running back as well Moving over to the defensive side, they looked good in the spring game. Uh, coaches said that they seem reborn. A name that a lot of people are, are saying to look out for is LeBrian Ray. A lot expected from him. He's a former five-star recruit. Um, and, and now with the, the losses that they have on, on that defensive line up front, he's going to get a chance to, to really be the star up there, teaming up with Raekwon Davis. Those two will, will make a, a pretty damn good pair of bookends and also look out for incoming freshman and early enrollee Antonio Alfano, who um, has a lot of buzz about him and um, had a pretty good spring in a spring game. He's got a quick first step. 
Another defensive lineman to uh, to see looking to maybe earn a starting spot is freshman DJ Dale, who is impressed. He's worked with the first team at times. He also has good quickness, good quick first step, a lot of power. And, and reports right now are saying that he's slated to start at that nose tackle spot, filling in for the departed Quinn and Williams. So, you know, Bama every year seems to have a guy on that defensive front, especially at that uh, that one technique nose tackle spot bip who, who um, you know, really comes on strong. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was I was going to agree with you on that. They seem to I mean, obviously, they get a ton of talent, but it, it seems to be plug and play for Bama every year at that nose tackle position. <laughs> right, right. Um, the secondary looked good. Josh Joby uh, looks to be the part of a good corner this season. He was covering Jerry Judy a lot in the spring and fared well. And in fact, uh, a lot of reports say that it was about 50-50. Judy did uh, snag a, a 40-some yard touchdown reception over him. But um, like I said, it was kind of back and forth. Trayvon Diggs is another guy who looks really good at the other corner spot. Patrick Sertain Jr. is going to be somebody who can play that nickel. So they're really going to be rotating three good corners there. Shaheem Carter has been injured this offseason, and there's a little concern with that. He's got a sports hernia. So sophomore uh, I'm sorry. So uh, safety Jared Maiden is is a guy who took a bulk of the snaps and looks to be the starter for now. But we'll watch that. Their linebackers look pretty good. Anthony Jennings and Ayabi Anoma, who took himself out of the transfer portal and decided to stay in Tuscaloosa. Both of them look good uh, coming from that edge spot with Bama running a three four defense. Um, Terrell Lewis is another guy to look at that rush edge position at, at outside linebacker and freshman linebacker Shane Lee was somebody who um, you know emerged a little bit and another one of those youngsters another one of those great recruits that Saban brought in um, who's who's doing well and then really the only concern that we see from Bama is yet again the kicking game and this is a I can't believe that this is something that's still going on. Joseph Bolivis um, was only one of three for field goal attempts in the spring game. And, you know, other reports say that he had missed others in spring practices this, uh, you know, these past couple of months. So that's another thing that um, Coach Saban, he might be looking to the transfer portal or really just anybody within a 50-mile 50, 50 square radius uh, to uh, to be able to put it between the pipes there, Bip. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm with you. I'm baffled and dumbfounded that they still can't get that kicking game right. It's like, you know, a household that loses five dogs. Well, stop leaving the damn door open. Get yourself a <laughs> kicker and and figure this out. It's not like it's, it snuck up on them this year after what happened last year in the playoffs. Um, right. So right. Uh, curious to see what that ends up looking like. And, and also really interested to see. Um, what Najee Harris looks like this year as he steps in as the full t- what should be the full time starter at running back. Yeah, and you and I talked about it already. I I would be actually a little bit surprised if he's not a Heisman uh, candidate yep. going into November. I mean, he he likely might be one of the four finalists going into December. So mm-hmm. yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. Um, but yeah, um, good point there, Bip. So back over to the East. Who's who's the next team we're gonna uh, spring on? Well, we'll go with last year's. Uh, I guess if you could put a title of a Cinderella team in the SEC, the Kentucky Wildcats and yep. the offense in 2019 could be even more dynamic than what it was, uh, even taking into account the loss of Benny Snell. So in the spring game, they started off the game with a trick play in which Lynn Bowden lined up at quarterback, lateraled it to Terry Wilson, who lined up wide. And on the mm-hmm. day, uh, the Wildcat offense had 42 or plays of 42 yards, 42 yards, 60 yards, and 87 yards while piling up 774 total yards. Um, and most impressive uh, on that offense potentially was Terry Wilson, who looked sharp and improved upon 
uh, throwing on the deep ball as he went 10 to 12 for 191 yards and two touchdowns. So if he can show that improved play into 2019, he's a dynamic playmaker with his um, ability to throw the ball and uh, run the ball. If he can put everything together and mm-hmm. show to be as sharp as he was in the spring game. Um, so e- even with losing, um, Benny Snell, the, the Wildcats look like they could have a good group of running backs returning as redshirt freshman, uh, Chris Rodriguez ran for 71 yards on 17 carries, which isn't a great yards per carry, but, um, he's often been compared to Snell in some regards in the fact yeah. that, uh, he's able to hit the hole and hit it hard. And he's, uh, got that physical rushing style that Snell had, um, the, uh, in, in addition to Rodriguez, you have the ladies' man favorite, Cavathier Thmoke, and he had an <laughs> right 87. <here. laughs> What's that? I got my Cavathier right here. <laughs> That's right. So Cavathier had um, an 87-yard touchdown run and finished the day with 132 yards and two touchdowns on only five carries, mind you. And wow. uh, A.J. Rose rounds out that trio of running backs that they have coming back this year. He also impressed as he had 86 yards and three touchdowns on only 11 carries. So lots to look forward to in that uh, Kentucky backfield. And while there wasn't much to speak of defensively, um, especially with Cash Daniels sitting out the game, there were a few uh, bright spots that stood out for the Wildcats. Um, Jordan Wright, um, linebacker, had an interception and several sacks. And true freshman Jared Casey led the white team with six tackles in the quarterback curry. So this defense lost a ton from the 2018 squad and didn't look so hot in the spring game, but I'll be interested to watch to see in the fall to see how this wildcat defense shapes up. And um, as it was kind of their, their biggest uh, conduit for their success in 2018. So while the offense may be improved, if that defense doesn't uh, step up and show some improvement from what they showed in the spring game, um, there could be some some major question marks uh, as we enter the fall for uh, the Wildcats uh, down in Kentucky, Chappie. Yeah, and that was my question when you when you spoke of Wilson's numbers and even the running back numbers is um, is it chicken or egg? You know, right. uh, I know that there was a lot of losses that Kentucky had on defense. Now um, they've got a really good defensive coordinator, Mike Stoops, as their head coach is, is defensive right. minded. So mm-hmm. the assumption is that they're going to rebuild, maybe not nearly as as dominant as they've been last year, or even the last two years, but. Um, you know, they're going to have players and they're going to be able to plug them in and, and, and put them in the right spots and the right fits. So um, obviously fans in Lex- Lexington are, are hoping that it's just a, um, you know, a, a symptom of, of, you know, getting it done in the spring, shoring it up in the summer and the fall. And then come, you know, September, this is going to be the same wildcat team that, that they've seen from last season. So good luck yep. to the boys in blue. That's right. Well, we're going to go over to the West again, and we're going to look at LSU. So um, the big thing with LSU that stood out to me this spring is their offense. Now, Steve Emsinger is still the offensive coordinator, but Joe Brady comes in as a passing game coordinator, um, brought over from the NFL's New Orleans Saints. Saints in the first offensive formation that we saw in the spring game was shotgun, empty backfield, five wide receivers. And that's something that, you know, Coach O and and, and Coach Brady say, you know, get used to this. Um, hmm. Now, that's not to say that they will shy away from the run. And Clyde Edwards-Alaire seemed to have, uh, you know, quote, made a difference in our offense this spring, according to Coach Orgeron. And and he he looked pretty good in a diverse role, you know, not only taking handoffs and, and hitting the hole hard between the tackles, but also kind of on those flare routes and those swing patterns out of the backfield. He's a, in my opinion, he's as equally good as a receiver as he is as a running back. Um, 
And, you know, there's there's going to be true freshman John Emery, who's going to be coming in in the summer or the fall. But uh, backup right now, Chris Curry has proven to be a good physical back that's going to provide depth. Uh, Leonard Fournette was another guy who, um, you know, didn't really make mistakes this spring. He, he seemed to be a capable backup. Um, and, you know, then the big question is Joe Burrow. How is he developing as a passer? He seems like he's got a solid relationship going with his receivers. I think that's going to be one of the deeper receiving groups in the SEC, at least in the SEC West anyway. Um, and, you know, that's saying something considering how deep Bama's receiving group is and Auburn um, and even Texas A&M. So I think that the Tigers will keep right up with him. Um, he's devoted more time to the passing game this season and, uh, he's taken a lot of online classes, which allows him to, you know, spend more time with, you know, throwing routes to his receivers, working in the film room, working in the weight room. So, you know, that's all good news for, for tiger fans. Mm -hmm. Um, wide receiver D Anderson has kind of emerged this spring. He led the spring game with six catches for 102 yards. There's also been racy McMath, um, who has been a good number two, uh, as the spring's been going on. Um, somebody to watch is tight end and he transferred from NC state. So he wasn't really eligible to play last year, but Thaddeus Moss. And if that last name sounds familiar, he is the son of Randy Moss. Um, big frame, good, good size tight end. I think he stands like six, four, 245 pounds. So he already has NFL type size to him. Um, and you know, some good quickness and certainly a, a good set of mitts and, and great lineage from his dad. So, um, on the defensive side of the ball, nose tackle, uh, freshman nose tackle and early enrollee Siaki Apu Ika um, had a, a pretty dominant spring. He stands 6'4", 347 at that nose tackle spot. He racked up five tackles, two sacks, and three tackles for loss in the spring game and really impressed Coach O and that defensive staff. He's going to continue to battle returning nose tackle Tyler Shev Shelvin for playing time, um, but they're going to roll uh, probably about – six or seven deep on that defensive line. So look for LSU to, to once again dominate up front. Defensive end Jarrell Cherry had seven tackles with a sack from his defensive end spot. Um, and, you know, this is not to even mention guys like Braden Fajoko and Richard Lawrence who are going to be coming back and, um, you know, kind of spearheading that defensive front. Defensive end and outside linebacker Calevon Chason, who was injured in the first half of the opening game last year and was lost for 2018, reportedly progressing nicely from his injured knee and has been showing good signs this spring. Linebacker Michael Divinity was a defensive star in the spring game with 10 tackles, five solo. Um, he also racked up two sacks and two tackles for loss, also forced a fumble, and has really been um, you know, a, an active leader and a vocal leader this spring and should make replacing Devin White a lot easier for the Tigers. Andre Anthony is also somebody who's who's put up good stats in, in spring scrimmages this uh, this year round. Um, and then, you know, the the person that everybody's been wanting to see coming into LSU is Derek Stingley. He had an interception of Burrow in the spring game and also should be the number one punt returner heading into the fall. So things look good for the Tigers. And, and I've said it before, you know, this is a team who I really think will compete with Alabama in that SEC West. And it wouldn't surprise me to see them. Um, represent the West in the uh, title game if if things go right for them, especially in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I'll be uh, like you said, like like many of the people out there, I'm interested to see how Derek Stingley looks this year, as well as John Emery, see if he can push that uh, talented backfield in LSU as he was ranked by some as the number one running back in the country. Um, mm -hmm. So Ed Cocho has always had a knack for recruiting, and he's always been a defensive minded guy. I think it, I think similar to you, uh, they'll go how Joe Burrow goes this year. So if he can improve upon what, uh, 
has been one of the better passing quarterbacks um, in recent memory for the LSU Tigers. I think they could go a long ways this year and could be um, surprise a lot of folks in regards to how tough they are compared to the other big dogs in the SEC, Jeppy. Right. Oh, yeah. So let's take it uh, back to the East, and I'll um, <clears throat> go with the Florida Gators next. Now, the Gator offense looks like it's really hitting its stride in year two under Dan Mullen. Um, Trayvon Grimes set a spring rec- uh, spring game record for the Gators with 195 yards and two touchdowns and just four catches. Oh, is that uh, all? Kid- <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kadarius Toney um, flashed his playmaking ability that Gator fans have known that he's possessed as he finished with 94 yards and looks to be um, – one of the, the the bigger contributors for the Gators this year. And those two combined with not only um, Van Jefferson, but also Tyree Jefferson, Freddie Swain, and the rest of this deep receiver group, which could give the Gators one of the best group of uh, receivers in the entire country. Leading to me to my next point, which is kind of a big surprise for me, Felipe Franks played uh, the first half of the spring game before being sat for the rest of the game because he was lights out. He went 13 of 18 for 327 yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Um, He showed the ability to stand in the pocket, move outside the pocket, was accurate on short, intermediate, and deep routes. And he was also the recipient of a 40-yard reception on a double reverse pass from uh, uh, previously mentioned Tony. So the fact that Franks lit up that Gator defense so well, he was so efficient and looked to be, you know, the talent that, Gator fans hoped he was when he was uh, brought in a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Could spell big trouble for the remainder of uh, defenses in the SEC. Right now, taking it to the other side, the or I'm sorry, the lone weakness on offense was clearly the offensive line. Now, this line lost four starters from last year, and it could be the Gators' Achilles' heel in 2019. So they'll need some major improvement between now and August as uh, it showed its inconsistencies throughout spring and especially in the spring game. Um, But maybe even more troublesome um, is the defensive side of the ball for the Gators. So uh, defensively uh, Nickelback, John Huggins impressed by taking an interception 80 yards the other way for a touchdown, as well as recording a pass breakup and a tackle for loss. But outside of that, the Gators secondary looked completely outmatched, especially the safeties. C.J. Henderson, um, their best uh, player, uh, cornerback, sat this game out. um, And the spring game normally favors the offense, but the secondary has lots to improve going into the fall. Um, As I mentioned, the performances put up by Franks, um, Grimes, Tony, and the rest of the Gator offense really exposed a lot of weakness on this Gator defense. And after losing Ja'Kai Polite, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Boshan Joseph, and CeCe Jefferson, this could be a new-look Gators team in which the offense is required to make up for defensive shortcomings if they don't shore things up between now and August. Yeah, but, you know, the X factor is defensive coordinator Todd Grantham. And, you know, he, you know, just like he did when he was with Mullen at Mississippi State, you know, he did a good job last season with the Gator defense. And, um, you know, I think that we've learned from Dan Mullen coaching staff is they coach their guys up. And so, you know, we, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, that Florida recruits regardless who is uh, at the helm there. So um, right. whether it was Ron Zook or Will Muschamp or, you know, now uh, Dan Mullen and obviously Urban Meyer and Steve Spurrier, all those guys before them. So I'm not overly concerned about that defense, but again, it's, uh, it's going to get a test in week one against Miami because, you know, the hurricanes are kind of in a similar position. Um, so it'll right. be interesting to see, but yeah, those offensive stats that you rattled off from this spring are, are 
eye-opening. In fact, uh, I think uh, my eyes are permanently open to to Mr. Franks and Mr. Grimes. And, um, you know, for all you Simpson fans, that's a that's a great stat box. <laughs> Frank's, uh, Grimes. Frank, Frank's Grimes. Yep. So, um, well done, Chappie. <laughs> yeah. And, and going to that week one matchup with uh, Miami, that could be very telling in regards to whether the Florida defense uh, shuts down the hurricane offense or or vice versa. And it could be it could be very telling or it could be a mirage in, in that we don't really know what we're going to get from Miami's offense. We don't really know what we're going to get from Florida's defense. So right. there could be a lot of the guessing game of, you know, which one was better. Is it uh, one team really outplayed the other or is it a combination of both kind of thing? Yep. So uh, clearly the Florida defense is going to take the box of chocolates theory um, this season, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Yes. Well, we're going to go back over to the West. We're going to talk about the Auburn Tigers. Now, with uh, with all due respect to our Twitter friend at CFB Rankings, um, not a lot of love for Auburn this offseason. And there's other you know, people. I would say it's about 50-50 outside of you know, the Plains and outside of, of Tigerville where you know some people are really high on the Tigers and some people are like, no, it's Gus Malzahn. They lost a lot of uh, you know, players. They lost you know, their quarterback. They lost... Um, you know, some, some playmakers on offense, they lost some guys on defense. It's, it's going to be Auburn as, as mediocre because they were mediocre last year with those guys. Um, here's what happened in, in spring practice this, this, uh, this spring, I trying to find a, an, or a synonym for that. Um, <laughs> the quarterback situation looks good. They've got two guys that are going to duel each other and, and it's really iron sharpening iron. And that's Joey Gatewood, redshirt freshman, and then true freshman early enrollee, um, Bo Nix, who's the son of former Auburn quarterback Patrick Nix. Now, Gatewood is said to be basically a Cam Newton clone. Um, you know, he's he's got big size. I think he's 6'5", almost 245 pounds. Um, right. But he runs like a gazelle, basically, just like Cam did. So, you know, maybe some unfair comparisons to, to old number two there. But, um, you know, Gatewood, who wears number one, is certainly an athlete who's got a lot of uh, a lot of hype around him and, and a lot of, you know, billing to live up to. But then again, so does Bo Nix, who's another guy who's, um, you know, very athletic as well and and possibly maybe a, a better passer, uh, maybe a more precise passer than Gatewood is. So it'll be interesting to see how Malzahn uses those guys. Does he kind of go to a little bit of a rotation or does he find one guy and stick with it? And is he going to go more on the the athletic one or is he going to go more on the guy who has some better touch to his his throws? Um, either way, the passing game is in good hands because Malzahn is now in control of this offense. Um, learning from the mistake of last year, we saw what happened when Malzahn was at the controls in the in the bowl game, and Purdue was you know the was literally the the receiving end of a bad spanking in that one. Um, they have former running back great Cadillac Williams, who's now their running back coach, which is kind of an interesting addition to the staff. And they're they're pretty stacked at that running back spot with Cam Martin, Booby Whitlow, and early enrollee freshman DJ Williams, who turned some heads this spring. So three guys who are going to be able to carry the rock pretty well for, for Auburn. Uh, wide receivers are going to be very deep. Seth Williams is a guy that kind of leads that group. But uh, Matthew Hill made a name for himself, especially in the spring game, a, a beautiful acrobatic touchdown catch in the A game. And both those guys have already made claims and put up, uh, you know, bullet board material for um, for Alabama, calling this group the best group of wide receivers in the SEC and dubbing themselves wide receiver. You basically saying that they're better than Alabama's wide receivers. So that'll be interesting to see how it plays out all the way into Thanksgiving weekend. Um, both those guys played well on a day down there on the plains. 
Uh, Williams himself had four catches for 103 yards and two touchdowns. They certainly are deep, though. So we already mentioned those two guys. They also bring back Anthony Schwartz, who is a uh, a world-class sprinter. Expect to see him on some end-arounds and, and taking 180 yards around uh, tackle. Eli Stoves, another guy. And then tight end wide receiver hybrid Sal Canella is a guy who's got big size and, and certainly leaping ability, great on the 50-50 balls. Not to mention Will Hastings, Shedrick Jackson, and then um, you know the aforementioned Hill making up a good unit. Offensive line is looking much better than last year, which is a big plus. They hardly had any negative plays this spring, and that's something that Malzahn hung his hat on. And also, uh, Malzahn talked about expecting a much faster tempo on offense this season. So if you're looking to take notes or jot down stats on this group, uh, you might want to get a tag team effort on that because they're going to be going and snapping the ball at lightning speed, according to coaches. Defensively, this is uh, one of the more underrated defensive lines in the country, led by guys like Nick Coe. Um, TD Moultrie, Big Cat Bryant, um, and then um, who's the other guy? Oh, Marlon Davidson uh, and others as well. They they played well this spring. Freshman linebacker Owen Popoe could see significant time. Um, he was a, a pretty high recruit and, and labeled a freak and very athletic, so he's somebody to watch on that defensive side. Um, looks to be on the second unit right now, but could emerge by season's end. He was an early enrollee and, and you know did some good things this spring. Um, he did work Biff with uh, a good amount with that first team. So that's, that's some good experience with him, but you know, ahead of him, KJ Britt, Zacoby McLean and Chandler wouldn't make up a formidable first unit. Um, and, and kind of gives Papoe some room to breathe and some time to grow until he emerges himself. Um, a guy that I like in the secondary is cornerback Noah Igbenagani. Um, and I know that I said that a little bit wrong. Uh, so forgive me, Auburn fans, but he's going to emerge as a star. Um, kind of started to emerge late last season, showing that he could be a shutdown corner. He was gaining confidence and developing that no fear attitude that you need to have in that secondary. And hopefully he also has that other trait that you need as a corner. And that's a very short memory. Um, Secondary has made significant strides and could be even better than last year's group. And then um, look out for place kicker, Anders Carlson, who I think is going to contend for the Grozo award. He's got a great leg and, and very effective accuracy. He had a pretty good true freshman season last year. He of course is the brother of Daniel Carlson, who is one of the best kickers in Auburn history and all accounts are that Anders is even better than Daniel. So that's the Auburn Tigers in a nutshell, looking pretty good. And again, I think that they're going to be uh, right in the thick of things in that West division as well. But yeah, I'm excited to see that uh, defensive line as they have a <clears throat> excuse me a ton of talent coming back, and um, that quarterback competition is going to be one of the more interesting ones to happen. Even with the uh, I think with the the high tempo, um, not allowing defenses much time to adjust and, and think that it should play into the the hands more so for a true freshman like Bo Nix than it might otherwise, as you are able to take advantage of, you know, a lot of the the matchups that you may have and just keep going at the defenses. So um, really intrigued to see who comes out the winner on top of that one. You have two very talented um, quarterbacks there at, uh, at Auburn. So, yeah. Well, Chabby, taking it back to the East, I'm going to go with the uh, South Carolina Gamecocks and um, start off with uh, uh, senior quarterback, Jake Bentley. Now, He's been there a long time uh, at South Carolina, so we kind of know what we're going to get. He played only two series and was three for five with a touchdown, uh, which, funny enough, was to former Gamecock Debo Samuel on a uh, form of a trick play. Um, So highly touted freshman Ryan Holinsky and um, sophomore to carry on Joyner 
were the two that kind of duked it out against each other in this one. And Helensky finished the day 24-36 for 206 yards and looked really sharp. So mm-hmm. gives uh, Gamecock fans um, a lot to be excited for in the unfortunate event that Bentley either goes down with injury or some for some reason suffers uh, Jake Browning uh, disease this year um <laughs> jbd but uh not to yeah not to be outdone to carry on joiner who in all accounts is a is a, a much better athlete than both quarterbacks was a little less impressive through the air going only 10 of 23 for 175 yards and a touchdown but he showed great mobility and added 60 yards on the ground and really gives the gamecocks a different dynamic at quarterback um Running back Rico uh, Dowdle was unavailable for the game, so uh, freshman running back Kevin Harris had the ability to show some of his shiftiness and finished the day with 50 yards and 17 carries. However, that did include a series in the fourth quarter in which he was stuffed on four separate occasions by the goal line. So good show there by the uh, South Carolina defense and um, maybe gives a little uh, room to squirm uh, if you're a Gamecock fan in the event that uh, Rico goes down um, and you need to get out some of those tough yards. Well, um, well, and we know Rico can throw the ball a quarter or three quarters of a mile. So there's, he's got and, big and over a mountain. Right. <laughs> Most interesting on the offense was that uh, quarterback Jay Ulrich actually stepped in to play wide receiver due that. to the log jam at quarterback. Yeah. And also due to the fact that uh, the Gamecocks are a little thin at depth of available wide receivers for the game. He finished with an impressive 113 yards on eight catches, which included a 62 yard uh, bubble screen. Um, so really impressive. And, and in reading a bunch of, uh, articles about South Carolina in the spring, uh, before the game even started, coaches had said that out of all the quarterbacks, um, to carry on Joyner included that Jay Ulrich was the fastest quarterback of the group. So he had a couple drops in the game, but looked impressive enough to where there's talk that he may be moving to wide receiver full time, especially with, uh, the talented quarterbacks, um, that are so young on the team. So I was going to say, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the sticker on his uh, binder is going to be switched from quarterback to wide receiver <laughs> um, come summer. So, yeah, I think it would be a wise move for both parties involved. Right. So look for him to potentially make some noise in the sec this year. Yeah. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, safety transfer from USC, Jamel cook looked impressive as he forced a fumble um, or he forced an incomplete pass by tackling a would be receiver, jarring the ball loose also recorded a pick. Um, so very talented, um, safety that came from the Trojans, uh, and will be eligible to be, uh, playing in 2019. And for those looking for impressive play from a true freshman on defense, they got it, but it wasn't from five-star defensive lineman, Zach Pickens, like everyone thought it may have been rather. It was from linebacker, Derek Boykins, who finished the game with six tackles and one quarterback hurry and an impressive play at the goal line. So, the Gamecocks um, overall look like they they will still be roughly what they have been the past few years in which they'll give some teams some some tough, uh, tough games, but probably middle of the pack. But obviously everything's going to be dependent upon Jake Bentley and whether he can take his game to an even further level in his senior season, Chappy. Yeah. And, and do you sense, Bip, that if um, if Will Muschamp doesn't better a seven or even maybe an eight win season 
Um, is his seat lighting up and, you know, the kerosene is starting to smell on that? Or do you think that he's a safe guy to keep in South Carolina until, you know, turnover and parity give uh, the Gamecocks, you know, because he recruits well and, 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 and right. he, you know, he preps his guys. It's not that he's a bad coach, but again, he's kind of stuck in one of those positions where you're playing at South Carolina, you're in the SEC East, and you've got to compete with Georgia, Florida, and pretty soon here, Tennessee once again. Um, it just seems yeah. like almost like a, uh, I don't want to say a no win situation, but you really have to um, take advantage of that opportunity when you can. And I just don't see it happening this year for the Gamecocks. Yeah, I always wonder that for teams like South Carolina, because it's it, like you said, it's almost a no win situation for the athletic director because you're playing the what if game and the almost yeah. the grass is always greener of if you can get eight wins consistently out of the Gamecocks, you're doing pretty well because it wasn't much long before um Spurrier came into town that they were winning two three games a year yeah um and and they're able to be a respective team they have a great recruiting area um and you could pull in someone like a Jeremy Pruitt or someone along those lines but you could also strike out and be left on the outside looking in for a coaching search so um interesting question I I think if they win eight win if they win eight games this year, he's not going to be on the hot seat. But right. I guess you never know, depending on what uh how rabid the fan base may be with another seven, eight win season. Yeah, and, and I think that there's a clear line of demarcation between seven and eight wins. I think eight wins, he's probably good for another year. Seven wins right. though, that might be that might be not good enough and that might be um, you know, the end of the line. So sure. Um, certainly hope the best for Coach Muschamp, though. Yep. Um, Texas A&M, we're going to go to them down in College Station for the the next team in the West. So quarterback Kellen Mond looks good, but he's going to, uh, going to, you know, is he, my question is, is he going to try to be too much to beat Bama, LSU and Auburn in the West? Um, he showed to be a little bit hyped up in the spring, a little bit anxious, a little bit antsy. His first pass, he tried to do a little bit too much and threw an interception. Um, I think he will calm down and be one of the more exciting quarterbacks in the West. Not one of the best in the West, but um, you know, certainly he's going to you know put this offense in position to score a lot of points. Uh, true freshman Zach Calzada looks to be primed for the number two spot. He's got a cannon for an arm, and he's got some mobility as well. Jimbo Fisher says he's kind of like a happy-go-lucky Brett Favre, and that's certainly – um, you know, good comparison to draw. Uh, running back position is one that is, you know, has a lot of Aggie fans looking closely at. So running back Vernon Jackson had an impressive spring, putting himself um, firmly in the number two running back spot until he suffered a serious neck injury. And, um, you know, there's concern that it may be career threatening. So we certainly wish the best for Vernon in a, in a recovery. Um, but it's such a, you know, such a shame to hear a guy have, you know, such a, a good, set of practices only to, you know, run into those serious neck injuries that you, you cringe about in college football. Right. Um, you know, behind him though, don't sleep on Cordarian Richardson, who is a U uh, transfer from UCF. Uh, he's got, he's a guy who blends power with, you know, some, some burst in the open field. Um, they have a good balance of speed in the backfield with Jay Sean Corbin and Daneric Prince, as well as power with Richardson, who we just mentioned and Jacob Cabote. Um, Cabote, uh, was said to have had, or it did have the best spring game for all running backs. He carried the ball 20 times for 106 yards, so just over five yards per pop. That's pretty good in that Jimbo Fisher offense. We know they've got good depth at wide receiver, and a big name that everybody's looking at on the offensive side of the ball is who's going to replace Jay Sternberger, and it looks to be um, four-star tight end Baylor Cup. So Cup's a good athlete. 
He's got a good catch radius. Many are comparing him to Sternberger. Uh, he had five catches for 88 yards and a 31-yard touchdown catch in the spring game. But then there's also Glenn Beal, who still shows to be the number one tight end on the depth, depth chart, mainly because he's a better blocker than Cup is right now. Um, and we know that Fisher likes to go power game and, you know, push comes to shove. He wants to be able to get physical and, and smack you in the mouth, and that's what Beal can do from his tight end spot. But he still caught five passes for 70 yards, including a touchdown as well. So tight ends look to be pretty good uh, for the uh, for the maroon and white. Um, junior center Ryan McCollum has stepped in for departed Eric McCoy, and he earned offensive MVP this spring, which is pretty good considering he's an offensive lineman. Normally you, you see skill guys take that spot. Um, the offensive line as a whole seems to be improved from last year, so that's positive news in Aggieland. Over to the defensive side of the ball, the defensive line was disruptive all night in that spring game, and I do say night because A&M was one of the teams who uh, I, th- I thought made a wise move and played the game at night. I think that generates a lot more electricity and excitement, um, and I think fans are more apt to go and watch a game at night than they are to get up and, and watch a noon game, especially down south when you know it's usually hotter. Um, <laughs> The defensive line was headline, or the defensive line had five sacks in the game, seven tackles for loss, and they were headlined by defensive tackle Jaden Peavy, who had two sacks and two tackles for loss. Um, also playing well were Jeremiah Martin at defensive end, who had nine tackles. Justin Madubuike and Bobby Brown, last year's uh, defensive newcomer of the year for the Aggies, were also stout up front this spring. And this should make up one of the SEC's better units. And again, that's saying something considering we already talked about Bama, LSU, and Auburn having good defensive lines. Don't sleep on the Aggies either. Um, and that's not even to mention highly touted defensive freshman DeMarvin Leal, who's coming in this fall. He's a five-star guy. I think he was like the fourth uh, highest recruit in the country of any athlete this uh, offseason. So that's pretty good, pretty good look for, for the Aggies. Um, defensive coordinator Mike Elko is very confident with his entire defensive group, and, and things look to be good on the stop side for the uh, maroon and white. Um, another guy to, to watch out for is freshman linebacker Andre White, who is an early enrollee and should get some good looks this year at linebacker spot. He's um, drawn a lot of buzz and and you know has has shown some flashy play at his linebacker spot. Bip. So that's A and M. Uh, over back to the East. Who's who's our next team? Yeah, and, and real quick back on on A and M. I know I know you and I have kind of differed in regards to our thoughts on A and M's defense going into twenty nineteen, but. Like you said, it sounds like they had a pretty good spring. They have a lot of talent um, coming in, especially um, with that talented freshman class that they have. And Mike Elko being one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. Um, that's one of my biggest curiosities going into 2019 is can that A&M defense um, replace some of the the key starters that they lost in in 2018 or from the 2018 team on defense to kind of match how good that offense is expected to be. So, yeah. And there's, uh, an, but, there's another guy to, to keep an eye out for um, Elijah blades at cornerback, who was the number one Juco cornerback in the country last season. That's another, okay. um, you know, pretty hot recruit that they snagged. So um, sure. yeah, they look to be pretty good rebuilding on that defensive side, but okay. Well, kicking it back to the East, I'll go with the Missouri tigers um, and the number one uh, question or, or, point of interest uh, amongst the country most likely for Missouri was Kelly Bryant and he mm-hmm. didn't uh, disappoint as he showed how dangerous his legs could be in this Missouri passing attack. Bryant escaped pressure, rolled out of the pocket and extended plays all while remaining accurate uh, and he looked pretty sharp in the spring game and also throughout the entire spring. Uh, Barrett Bannister who received a scholarship during the offseason stepped up in a big way um, with starting slot receiver Jonathan Johnson out due to injury. Bannister led the team with eight catches for 73 yards and should play a good role in the Tigers offense in the in the fall despite the volume of slot receivers on the team. 
Um, Nick Bolton really impressed defensively at weak side linebacker and his coaches and teammates have raved about his IQ and how much progress he's made over the spring. Cornerback Jarvis Ware has been pushing his way out uh, onto the field all spring. Projected starter Adam Sparks was out this uh, spring due to injury, but um, the coaches have said all along that the increased playing time for Jarvis Ware wasn't just because of the injury to Sparks, but rather because he's been too impressive to leave out the field. So he looks to be at worst the team's number three corner and might even push for a starting spot before fall ends. Um, Unfortunately for Missouri, though, their special teams might not be any better than last year. They missed two kicks in the spring game, and they still don't have a punter established coming out of the spring. So I know that was their their biggest issue, um, most like, according to most, uh, from 2018. Doesn't sound like things have gotten much better in the spring. So we'll see what happens over the summer to see if they can shore that up, um, as they were one of those teams that found out that you really don't notice your special teams too much unless it's a detriment and right. man, it was a detriment to the tigers for a lot of uh, 2018. So, and here's the thing with special teams too. You know, uh, we mentioned in the last podcast that I think it's maybe about one sixth of the game when you really right. break down the, the statistical value, but what it has a bigger effect on is the psyche of a team, especially on a defense. So, um, mm-hmm. if, if your punter is not going to be able to, um, give your defense, you know, good field position to work against. And if your offense is driving and they see that their place kicker is missing 35 and 40 yard, you know, seemingly chip shots for a, uh, a division one power five scholarship kicker um, that can really get to your psyche and in your mentality. And, and it, we've seen it have effect on both offensive and defensive side of the ball. But so, yeah, that's a good point. Right. Well, going back over to the West, we're going to go to the Grove and Ole Miss. So, Ole Miss really has three offensive or three head coaches working their sidelines. Now, Matt Luke is the official head coach and and everybody else will agree to that. But on the offensive coordinator spot, former head coach Rich Rodriguez, who was most recently with the Arizona Wildcats, is bringing a spread offense with an emphasis on the run and a mobile quarterback, much like he did when he was the head man at West Virginia, when they were challenging for a national championship in his heyday, uh, reaching as high as number two in the country. And he's got a pretty good mobile quarterback and certainly somebody who is not shy in confidence. And that's Maddie Corral. Corral completed 22 passes in the spring game for 240 yards with a touchdown and an interception. Um, he looked to be comfortable at quarterback, but maybe sometimes trying to do too much, kind of like Kellen Mond that we talked about earlier. And again, I think that's part of his gunslinger mentality. He certainly does not shy away from, you know, feeling like he can get the job done. And, you know, take that with a grain of salt, like we said before, because in the spring game, you know that you're afforded some of those, uh, you know, high risk moves. And, you know, it's not going to really cost you in the long run, certainly not in the uh, in the scoreboard, but, um, you know, working those things out and shoring them up. I think that this is going to be a pretty good marriage between Rich Rod and, and Corral and, um, you know, should lead to a pretty good offensive um, output this season. Wide receiver Elijah Moore is certainly the best of the group, and, and this receiving core took a hit with uh, some of the big three losses from their um, NWA receivers from last year. But look out for a smaller guy, wide receiver Tylen Knight. Now, Knight played 
back and forth on the defensive and offensive side of the ball last season. And with some of the uh, injuries and people being out in the spring, Knight made some big plays. He had five catches for 91 yards, including a touchdown. Um, he showed to be a downfield threat. He's got some good hands, and he's kind of one of those jitterbugs, Bip, who um, you get him in open space, or if you try and put a, uh, a bigger safety or corner to cover him, he's got quick feet, a quick first move, and uh, runs some really good routes. So he could be a star in the making on offense, especially knowing how Rich Rod zeroes in and can use the talent uh, effectively. Um, there's also junior wide receiver Braylon Sanders who gave some good looks, and it's it's worth noting that they do have some pretty wide, pretty talented wide receivers enrolling this summer and fall, including Jonathan Mingo, Dennis Jackson, and Jordan Jernigan to join both Moore and Knight and also Sanders. Um, speaking of freshmen, running back fresh or freshman running back Snoop Connor looked good with 52 care or 52 yards on 10 carries. Um, you know, emerged his his name there at that running back spot, and certainly he'll be competing if he plays and and uh, enrolls at Ole Miss in the fall with uh, Jerry on Ely. Um, Big question mark on offense at Ole Miss, though, is they are thin at offensive line, especially on that left-hand side. Uh, Matt Luke even suggested that a couple of incoming freshmen will likely have to play in the two deep um, as they're going to have to replace three starters and a key backup on that offensive front. Now, we mentioned that they have three head coaches. The other, or the third head coach is former head coach Mike McIntyre, who was in 2016 the coach of the year um, over at Colorado, and he brings in a 3-4 scheme. Um, so the defense and the land sharks certainly came out and looked more impressively than the offensive did uh, in the spring headlined by inside linebacker, Mohamed Sinogo, who is an all American candidate and certainly uh, a player who could be an all sec linebacker this fall. He led the team in tackles uh, in the spring game and certainly looked apart with eight um, wrap ups this spring. He was also their leading tackler last year, um, continued his impressive play and also Juco linebacker, Sam Williams, finished second on the team with six tackles in the spring game. Um, Kadir Shepard and Charles Wiley also made their way around the field. So McIntyre has a good group of linebackers to work with, especially on the outside. Um, the secondary forced three interceptions. But uh, one thing that they're going to have to do better this year is rushing the passer. The The Rebels only had 22 sacks in 12 games last season, and they didn't really see much of a uh, much headway from the pass rush situation at Ole Miss this spring. So that's something that they're going to have to work on even more in the summer and the fall. Secondary is recovering and looking for depth as Jalen Jones and Montel Custis um, are rehabbing from season-ending injuries from a year ago. Ole Miss played without Vernon Dasher and Armani Linton in the secondary in the Grove Bowl as they were held out for precautionary health measures. So youngsters Jalen Julius, John Haynes, and Cam White all got a lot of much-needed reps and the three of them, uh, you know, happily combined for 13 tackles and an interception. And just like in other places that we talked about, like uh, Mizzou and Alabama, the place kicking situation at Ole Miss needs to be figured out as well because um, they really have a couple of guys who really have not wowed anybody to the point where you could uh, sharpie them in on the depth chart as saying this guy's number one, Bip. So, um, again, kicking issues abound. Yep, and um, the maybe the uh, most important thing for Ole Miss fans is it's going to happen until June when they see whether and – well, not whether, but how high Jerrion Ely gets taken in the MLB draft, as, that I'm, sure, as I'm sure that that's going to have a huge factor on whether he signs with and enrolls in um, classes for Ole Miss to be able to play in the fall. Um, and mm -hmm. on top of that, that group of receivers that you talked about, they were are needing to replace a ton of talent and a ton of experience there. So um, offensively, 
Rich Rod's going to be needed in every regard this year, as I think that it's going to be real tough for Ole Miss to find yards um, in 20, 2019. So, but uh, right. kicking it back over to the East, we got the Vanderbilt Commodores. And number one um, takeaway that I had is Riley Neal looks like he could be the real deal. So, even though um, Deuce Wallace, who was out all of 2018 due to suspension and Riley Neal's number one competition, he was unable to play in the spring game. Neal was, and he picked up where he left off at Ball State, seemingly. So he looked like someone who's had 32 games of starting experience. Um, he completed eight of 12 passes and looked comfortable in the pocket while using his strong arm to combat a, a strong win that they had during their spring game. And while Neal's numbers at Ball State are not eye-popping, Vanderbilt's top three of Keyshawn Vaughn, Jared Pinckney, and Kalijah Lipscomb, um, and maybe even more of Vandy's skill players are arguably all better than um, anyone Neal had to work with during his time at Miami or um, Ball State. Um, so it could be as smooth a transition uh, as the Commodores could hope for as they prepare for, prepare for life without one of their best signal callers, signal callers in school history and Kyle Shermer. So um, mm-hmm. uh, head coach Derek Mason has said that the quarterback competition is going to extend to as late as August 31st, but Neil took a big step towards closing the door on said competition in the uh, spring and, and the spring game, especially defensively for the Commodores. Elijah McAllister was called out as one of the top performers as he recorded two sacks. And he also wears number 41 to remind Commodore nation of former linebacker, great Zach Cunningham, Uh, true freshman defensive tackle Davion Davis also shined picking up two sacks himself. And the Commodores have lots of firepower on offense, but it was really the defense that shined in the spring game. This is really encouraging for the Commodores as they lose two of their top three tacklers, as well as, uh, perhaps their best defensive player um, from 2018 and Joan Williams, as well as the majority of their secondary. So that offense should provide a lot of firepower this year for Vanderbilt. Uh, the defense is going to be the question for sure, but this spring game provided a lot of hope and a lot of optimism for Vanderbilt nation um, heading out of the spring Chappie. So I guess you could say the headline in the spring is Neil takes number one, drops a deuce, right? <laughs> hey, very well could have, um, <laughs> especially the fact that uh, Wallace has been there the past couple of years, but hasn't really been on the field much due to suspension and injury. Right, right. Yep. So, uh, well, that's good. Good news out of uh, out of Nashville. So. Well, we're going to go down to Starkville um, and and look at the Mississippi State Bulldogs. So at quarterback, um, Keetion Thompson looks to be the number one quarterback for now. He was 9 of 18 for 106 yards in the spring game, tossing three touchdowns. But there was uh, concern about his lack of touch on some of the shorter and intermediate throws. He throws a pretty good deep ball, but completing 50% of your passes, even in a spring game, is not something that you – uh, love to see. Now, there's an asterisk thrown in there that there was wet conditions for the spring game. It wasn't a monsoon, but um, you know, still that that should be uh, factored in there. Uh, keep an eye on backup quarterback Jalen Maiden, who was a pretty high recruit coming out of uh, high school, um, and also Joe Moorhead's handpicked Garrett Schrader. Um, both of them got a look in the spring, but not not as many snaps as Thompson did. And that was a little bit of a head scratcher, you know, is, is Mississippi state putting all their eggs in Thompson's basket? Um, you know, is this a good thing because it's going to give Thompson even more reps and more practice and, and, and being ready to go in that sec West, or is it maybe going to be a detriment because if he doesn't pan out, you know, now you've got two guys who really didn't get a lot of looks in the spring or, or not as, not as much of the 
percentage of snaps as you would think that they would get. Um, but like I said, don't be surprised if Maiden gets more shots as the season goes on. And if uh, Mississippi State finds themselves really out of the hunt throughout the first uh, third of the season, you know, look for Maiden to to get more snaps and maybe be the guy of the future down there in Stark Vegas. Um, he's got a much more fluid throwing motion and offers slightly more in the run game than the other quarterbacks do. At wide receiver, sophomore Austin Williams had two touchdowns in the spring game. Wide receiver Stephen Gidry proves to be the leader in that group, um, but they're looking for somebody on that receiver uh, section that can separate themselves from the defense. Um, they seem to struggle with that in the spring. They struggled with it last year. Um, so maybe they're going to turn to tight ends Farad Green and Dante Jones um, to be more focal point targets in the passing game this season, especially Jones, who's the better receiver of the two at running back. Kylan Hill was, you know, well, Kylan Hill, he had nine carries for 47 yards, looked his usual self at times. He was bucking defenders with his power and other times running past him with a good second gear. Senior running back Nick Gibson looks to be a solid backup as he toted the rock eight times for 35 yards, crossing the plane twice for two touchdowns. Um, The offensive line has been shuffled a bit to make way for two new starters um, so that'll be something to look at. And and I know it sounds like, okay, 60% of this group is coming back, but they were shuffling a little bit last year. Um, it wasn't necessarily the best group in the SEC. So, you know, with, with some of the questions on there, keep an eye on Juco transfer LaQuinston Sharp, but also five-star freshman enrollee Charles Cross, who is really a stud, and he's the the prize of that recruiting class yeah. this, this season. Don't be surprised to see him uh, etched in at that tackle spot come game one. Um, on the defensive side, the D line still look capable despite the heavy losses to the NFL that they had. And they're headlined by former last chance U star Chauncey Rivers. Um, he's certainly the most exciting of the group, but also defensive end Marquise Spencer, defensive tackle Fabian Lovett, and also uh, Lee Autry, another D tackle, should be the starters. The question there, though, is depth because these guys were the backups to the, um, you know, the, the great talent that left this past season. And now behind them, there's a lot of uh, you know empty spaces and a lot of green back there for the maroon and, and white. Um, in the secondary, safety Brian Cole has drawn the praise of defensive coordinator Bob Shoup, saying that he plays the run like a linebacker but covers the air like a defensive back. He's certainly a good hitter. And Shoup has been working a lot with mixing up blitz packages, especially with his safeties. He likes to do that, um, you know running with a, with a five-man group at times. And he said that Cole's a very instinctive blitzer, slipping blockers and attacking the quarterback like he likes to see. So, um, you know, I still have some questions about Mississippi State. Defensively, I think they'll still be okay, again, because of Shoup and his prowess at that defensive coordinator um, position. But I'm not sold on the quarterbacks. And, um, you know, with that offensive line a little bit jumbled, this is going to be a, uh, you know, the toughest division in college football and certainly zero room for error. And it looks like they've got some errors going into the season. Yeah. And I question that offense as well. And it's really kind of uh, head scratching that a team that was led by Dan Mullen for so long and now brings in another offensive minded guy and Joe Moorhead could look so inept last year and could be even worse this year. So um, right. obviously they have their losses on, and I've seen them ranked as high as like 13th in the preseason rankings. I just don't get that. I mean, I don't, I haven't seen anything from this roster right. or from, you know, the spring reports that suggest that they're even top 25. Yeah. And, and if I'm going over under, I'm not sure what Vegas has them at, but I'm definitely going under for them this year for those very reasons. I think I saw eight in, in early polls. I think I saw eight from Mississippi state. So I'm definitely taking the, under right. That exactly. One. <laughs> so I'll, uh, at best, a push. right. Yeah, for sure. So I'll finish off the East here, Chappie, and we're going to head over to uh, uh, Tennessee, and we're going to good old Rocky Top. Absolutely. <laughs> so 
The first quarter of the uh, spring game had the volunteer fans all thinking, well, here we go again, as it ended without a score from either offense. But things seemed to progress as the Vols um, ended up, as the Vols scoring increased in the second quarter and led to some positives offensively. Jared Guarantano was actually a big part of that, which is uh, a relief for volunteer fans as he started off a little shaky, keeping the ball in his hands too long and also not giving his receivers on the boundary a chance to make a play on the ball within the play of field or the field of play. I'm sorry, but he cooled down and ended up with 198 yards and four touchdowns. So I expect with more time with Jim Chaney, um, that's going to allow him to grow and to utilize that very gifted group of receivers that Tennessee possesses. And speaking of that group of receivers, uh, Jawan Jennings looks primed for a huge 2019. He had five catches for 57 yards and two touchdowns and was really one of the, mm-hmm. the main talking points of, of spring, uh, the entire spring for Tennessee. Uh, the def- the defense for the Vols looked impressive, um, which is which is definitely uh, a good thing to see for Tennessee fans, especially throughout that first half. They ended up with upwards of about ten sacks, thanks in large part to Emmett Gooden and Michigan transfer Aubrey Solomon. So another uh, last chance you uh, fame uh, guy, Emmett Gooden was. Productive for the Vols last year, finishing with seven and a half tackles for loss and looks to have an improved 2019 year um, coming off that defensive line. Aubrey Solomon actually still has potential to play uh, and be eligible in 2019. He's currently awaiting an NCAA hardship waiver, but since he's not a quarterback, he probably has an uphill battle, I would think. So we'll see (laughs) what happens. I know lots of uh, folks in in Tennessee are, are crossing their fingers as that would be a huge gain to get him in and eligible uh, immediately for the Vol defense. So in the secondary, uh, freshman Jalen McCullough had a couple um, of interceptions and adds to an already talented returning secondary for Tennessee. This this defense has talent, and in the second year of Jeremy Pruitt, it showed in the spring game um, that the returns might be uh, evident come this fall. So definitely something to look out for. The biggest question that they, that I have for Tennessee is their offensive line. While they have tons of potential and they're still very young, um, they still have question marks all around. They were inconsistent all spring, and it showed especially in the spring game. They're still mm-hmm. without Trey Smith due to his blood clots, so he's a question mark as to whether he's going to be playing in 2019 after sitting out all of 2018. And the uh, Tennessee offense barely averaged over four yards per carry in the spring game without taking sacks into account, and they didn't ever rush for over 13 yards all game. So improved passing game, defense looks like it's going to be good, but that rushing game still has some major question marks. And uh, how how well can the the offensive line keep Guarantano upright is going to be another question going into the fall. Yeah, and you know another guy that I was really impressed with in the spring, at least in the spring game, was Brian Maurer, a, uh, a true freshman quarterback. Um, that guy's got some moxie back there. He's mm-hmm. got some good zip on his ball. So, uh, I mean... Guarantanamo, you know, Jarrett Guarantanamo Bay is, um, I think, only a sophomore, or maybe a junior. So he's got a couple seasons under his belt. Um, and I, I agree. I think he looked good. And I think that he's going to be, you know, maybe one of the uh, the bigger, more pleasant surprises, especially at quarterback in the SEC this season. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the future looks good with Maurer coming. And I really like that kid. Yep. And I know you're high on the on the Vols, Chappie. Um, if they can yep. get some consistent play out of their offensive line. Um, you know, look out like you've been saying this entire time. So we'll, yep. we'll obviously get into more of that as we do our previews later on in the year. But um, good things so far yep. from from all reports uh, coming out of spring for Tennessee. 
Yep, and you're right. That offensive line is, is really the big catch-all. So. Well, we're going to finish in Fayetteville, Arkansas with the, the Razorbacks. So out of the spring, expect a lot of uh, freshmen to play this year as they had 11 guys enroll early, and this is a pretty good recruiting class as well. So it wasn't just 11 you know, uh, two-star and three-star kids who are coming in on campus because they just want to you know, try and rectify the, the Texas State armadillos. This is a, a group of um, really good players headlined by freshman wide receiver Trey Knox. Now, this dude is big and good. He had three catches in the spring game, including a 45-yard touchdown pass that you can see on YouTube, uh, made a couple of men miss uh, right in the open field, and really weaved his way through what seemed like about seven or eight different defenders um, through traffic and you know scoring on that 45-yard touchdown catch. Um, he's 6'5 and has good use of his hands, so um, he'll be a name. You know, Look for him to you know, maybe even get as high as like second team all sec i'm gonna call that uh right now and you know especially with a guy like ben hicks who looked familiar out there this spring you know i wouldn't say that he looked great but he looked good and and you know again because he's been with um chad morris before he's familiar with the offense he you know he had overall a a pretty respectable season at smu as their quarterback last year i liked him as a as a mustang i think i like him better as a as a razorback now that um you know i think it'll just fit better for him uh, Chad Morris has also said that he's shown good leadership and energy. He's likely going to be a captain this year, and that usually um, you know, accelerates a guy's play on the field as well. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to Knox at wide receiver, they also got uh, good springs from Coylan Jackson, who made some outstanding one-handed grabs in the spring game as well as in scrimmages and practices and displayed a sticky set of mitts. Um, fellow freshman Shamar Nash also had some moments and should team with Knox to be some of the early jewels of this Morris-era recruiting. Um, Rakeem Boyd, who was their leading rusher from last year, sat out most of the spring with injuries. So Devois Whaley was the leading rusher this spring. He had 45 yards in the spring game. They moved former cornerback Jordan Custis over to running back and he gives him a little bit of depth. And I was, I was impressed with how he ran the football. Um, I haven't, you know, dug too deeply on, on what he did in high school. I'm assuming that he was a running back in high school as well, but um, didn't seem like somebody who had been on the other side of the ball for the last couple of seasons. And he gives somebody who Chad Morris calls slippery with some explosive abilities, although he does need to work in his pass protection. And in this offense, you know, every one of those running backs does. Um, tight end Grayson Gunter, uh, you know, had a touchdown catch and, and kind of uh, progressed this spring. Um, the run, the run game and offensive line, however, need work and they look pretty stagnant and slow in the spring game. So if you watch some of the highlights, the passing game seemed to be okay, but when they, when it came time to run the football, um, they just kind of looked like they were, um, you know, confused. It was like they were shown a play card for the first time and said, okay, run it without much instruction. Um, and things just kind of got muddled up. So that's going to need to be fixed, uh, pretty quick if they're going to get anywhere near halfway in the sec West. On the defensive side of the ball, their star is going to be defensive tackle McTelvin Aguib, who many thought was going to go to the NFL last year, decided to come back. He wants to you know, kind of make a name for himself and came back, I think, for all the right reasons uh, for the Razorbacks. Um, so he's going to be the leader in this unit. All in all, though, this defensive line is going to be the top group on this stop squad. The secondary has shown accelerated improvement, led by freshman corner Devin Bush, who another one of those early enrollees. He had a good spring game, which included a 55-yard pick six. Um, overall, the defensive unit seemed to get better. They started out well, and then the offense started figuring some things out in the spring game, and, and the defense kind of tapered off a little bit. But players feel that this group is coming together, although defensive coordinator John Chavis, who players dubbed Chief, 
is never satisfied and is one of those coaches who's always trying to find new things to work on and improve it and to go from good to great and great to best, um, which is good. You want to have that in a coordinator. Um, and he did, and they did a good job playing fast and pursuing to the ball. So um, I think that the defense is much further ahead than the offense is, um, you know, especially up front and in that secondary bit. Yeah. And, and Chavis is someone that's had success most stops where he's been, where he's been. So that defense could be um, in good hands this year. Um yeah. And, and in good shape in 2019. I'm really, really intrigued that this might be the most uh, um, curious or, or the, the offense that I'm most forward to, to looking to see uh, the improvement from 2018 to 2019 mm-hmm. in the entire SEC is that group of receivers that they have coming in should be very impressive. And um, seeing the quarterback play, regardless of who ends up coming out of that competition, that should uh, really ramp up starting in June. Um, who's going to come away with that one? Um, so the Razorbacks are, are my team that I'm going to keep a close eye on this year as, mm-hmm. as they could surprise some, te- some people. Yeah, I could see them easily going as high as third in the West, but I could also see them easily finishing dead last. Exactly. So, uh, I mean, it's, they're just very nebulous. So right. I, I, I myself am, am, am keeping an eye on that as well. And in some of my um, preseason analytics predicting uh, stats, Arkansas favors pretty well. They're they're one of the higher teams that I have ranked in the SEC in terms of, you know, when you factor in returning talent, when you factor in um, statistical um, efficiencies from last year mm-hmm. and all the things that are going to predict to what they might do in 2019. They're up there. But again, um, that's all just numbers. And it really comes down to what you do on the field. And so they've got some work to do between now and uh you know, August 31st, but it'll be interesting. And, and I'm certainly we're going to want to see how the hogs do this season. Right. Well, that wraps up the SEC, but stay tuned and you'll see just what's been going on in the other Power 5 conferences in our next four weeks. So stay tuned and listen to the newest podcasts as they upload right to your device. Um, And once you've gotten caught up on the recent entertainment and information from our show, feel free to check out some of our previous episodes that you may have missed or want to revisit as you're doing your off-season preparations and prognostications. And again, the best thanks and praise we can receive is by you sharing and spreading the good word to continue to make a bowl full of chips, the best growing college football podcast out there. Remember, you can also interact with us on Twitter. Um, So thanks for tuning in to a bowl full of chips, the all encompassing all American podcast. I am Chappie and I am Bip. And with much gratitude, we thank you for your ears, your eyes and your support. Thanks for snacking on a bowl full of chips, the natural delight for your college football appetite. Till next time, fans. See ya. See ya.